and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And you know, I looked at the calendar this week, and as much as yes, this has been a very long season and there's been a lot of races, it's still kind of surprising that we're now just four races from the end of the season. It's surprising? It, it, it does. It's like all of a sudden, what happened to the rest of the season? That's because you would like the season to be year-round. On one hand, yes, I would. And on the other, I know that it's absolutely brutal for the folks who have to work in Formula One and support it and do all the various bits and pieces that go along with it. But, yeah, I'd like to see more racing. Well, I mean, we're talking about a season that goes from the middle of March to November. True. Which is a fairly long and lengthy season for any sporting event. But you're only talking 21 races total out of that huge stretch. Only. And it's only Only. one race a weekend at best. And it's not even one race a weekend once you figure in the midseason break and, you know, weeks like this where you have two weeks off. Yeah. Or a full weekend off, actually. But You're hitting the doldrums, aren't you? No, I'm not hitting the doldrums. It just, it was all of a sudden, it looked like, wow, the season's almost over. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a secretive wish that we had five more races so Lewis could catch up. But, you know, it's, well, it's where we are. But we do need to make a detour before we, like, jump both feet into the Formula One world. How much of a detour? Like, into LMP1 or something else? I don't know where you're (laughs) headed with this. Well, I just— Out of autosport? Out of autosport for just a moment. Okay. Well, you know that, you know, we, as the bloke and the bird, we sit firmly in the uh, great suburbs of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And we should be wishing congratulations to our very own Windians. (laughs) I mean, they're like two games away from heading to the World Series. They are. So we shall see whether or not they can hold out. I have some coworkers um, who are getting a little concerned. Concerned? Yes, because they are Indians fans, being the home team, but they're also Cubs fans. That is what is happening at my office because (laughs) you know that my office is half split between suburbs of Cleveland and the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. So every time we have these group conference calls, there's a lot of hope that we will see a Cubs-Indians World Series, followed immediately by somebody going, oh, man, who will we root for? (laughs) And then somebody else going, well, it doesn't matter. Either way, we win. So... But, I mean, seriously, we have the possibility of having a Cubs winning the World Series, which I think we all should just take a moment and go, that's awesome. No matter who you really root for, that's an amazing feat. And then the fact that Cleveland could possibly pull, bring home two championships in one year. Well, I, you know, should the Cubs win the World Series? Should this happen? Mm-hmm. I then want to know where my flying car is, my <laughs> Mr. Fusion, my hoverboard, and when Jaws 19 is coming out. Well, I think uh, we need like Jaws 7 through 18 to come out <laughs> first, but that's fine. Um, yes, I realized this was predicted by Back to the Future 2. 
Um, which I mean, is, we may be a little late at this point, but still. Only by maybe a year. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's also kind of interesting that this is the year. But um, anyway, I will get out of sport ball quickly, but I just thought that we were required to acknowledge it based on proximity and the fact that I watched Major League this morning. Ah, well, that would explain it too. So <laughs> moving over to Autosport. Still not quite in Formula One. Oh. Um, but one of your top two favorite Aussies. One of my top two favorite Aussies? I have yes. two favorite Aussies? I'm pretty sure you do. Actually, I have three, but one doesn't race cars, so. Okay, your top two favorite Aussies that race cars. Yes. One of them has announced that he is going to be retiring from racing at the end of 2016, and it is not Daniel Ricciardo. No, it is not. It is Mark Webber, and I can completely understand. I mean, I think that he's spent, oh, 39 of his 40 years of life in auto racing, <laughs> Um. But it's time. It's time for him to retire. He makes an incredibly good commentator. He actually does. Somebody should be picking him up, NBC Sports. Um, but they won't because they have David Hobbs, who is, you know, so relevant from his 1960s <laughs> driving experience. Bitter, not bitter. That's a hashtag. We're using it. Okay. Well, you know, a, a quick review about Mark and his, his Formula One career. Mm-hmm. Okay. He started with uh, in, in uh, 2002 with Minardi, and he scored point. Uh, he scored points on his debut in Australia. Um, he later raced with Jaguar and Williams before joining Red Bull in 2007. Um, it was with Red Bull that he enjoyed his most successful uh, time in Grand Prix racing, where he took nine victories and finished third in the World Championship on three occasions before finally retiring at the end of 2013. Not bad for a number two driver. Yeah. <laughs> So he retired and joined uh, what was at the time Porsche's new Le Mans program, racing in the LMP series. Uh, Started in 2014, he has won seven WEC rounds with Timo Bernard and Brendan Hartley, and the trio won last year's driver's title along with finishing second in the Le Mans 24 hours. Um, Now, even though he will be retiring from racing, he will be retaining some role with Porsche as a quote-unquote special representative. Oh, an ambassador. Yeah, kind of sort of like, you know, much like David Cothard in Red Bull. Okay. So he will every so often take a car out to go spins on top of on tops of buildings. We, we've got a press event, and we trust you with the car, so here, that yeah. kind of a thing. <laughs> Toss mark the keys. Yeah. Um, so... I think the other question is, will he stay with Channel 4 and expand his role for the remaining time that Channel 4 is doing broadcasting? Will he get picked up by another network? We do know that even though he is Australian, he lives in England and he loves the English in general. And he's a big fan. Well, the English are big fans of him. Mm-hmm. So, would it even be possible to lure him to another broadcaster outside of England? I don't know. Especially knowing the way NBC Sports operates and the fact that that means that he would have to spend his days in North Carolina in a studio. Oh, there's no chance in this world that he'd actually get to do that. but Or he would do that because... It's the same reason why probably Jensen Button won't sign with him. I know. I'm just con- suggesting that NBC Sports always step up their game. But I also know that Mark Webber really digs hanging out with DC. I know the rumor. 
There's been a rumor flying around that one of the things that Jensen would be doing in his off time would be working with the Top Gear cast, mm-hmm. the the revised Top Gear cast with Matt LeBlanc, who is he's confirmed by the way he he will be back next year or, or next season. So there's been rumors that Jensen, and those rumors have been kicking around for a while that Jensen was going to be involved. So how about Jensen and Mark Webber round out the group? That's an interesting combination. I Matt have a- LeBlanc is a Formula One fan because we get to hear him talk very dry and boringly at every uh, USGP in Austin about how much he really likes Formula One and coming out. And okay, you can it. stop that now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he is completely animated and interesting on Top Gear. Yeah. It, he it's, is no good on the grid at Coda. Well, you know, he he's kind of like Harrison Ford. When you give him a script and you give him a part to play and a role to play, he's terrific. But you put him in front of a camera live and it's like, oh, my God, just kill us all. Put us out of our misery because he's terrible. Okay, could somebody pull Matt LeBlanc aside before he does the grid walk in Coda and say, okay, here's your part. You are a Formula One fan. Show it. Better yet, how about that all the media just ignore him while he's on the grid? I know the British won't do that because, you know, he's hosting Top Gear now. So, hey, look, it's Matt. But still, just ignore him. I know. I know. Anyway. Um... Over to F1. Over to F1. You know, now that we are just four races left in the season, I think it's about that time of the season where when it comes to the teams that are performing below expectations, that the knives start to come out. Yeah, kind of. Interesting. So ex-chief engineer, and I need to highlight ex-chief engineer, Luca Baldessari. Bad breakup? Um, he, he might not be a little bit bitter. Oh, he bitter He might be XY. a lot more bitter. Um, he gave a interview to uh, Italy's Corriere dello Sport where he said that, uh, unfortunately, neither uh, Sergio Marchionne nor team boss Maurizio Arriva Bene have experience in racing, a culture that the Scuderia of today has lost. They are no longer a team, but a group of scared people. There is a climate of fear. The boys don't take risks for fear of being fired in disgrace. Okay, well, I take umbrage with that statement. Okay. I actually disagree with him. Okay. Knowing so much more from my recliner than he could possibly know from his engineering status. But let's just go with it. you know, contacts in the team and... Such. What what f? <laughs> I am equally as qualified as the next person to armchair quarterback these things. Okay. Look at earlier in the season when Vettel kept staying out too long on his tires. In their crappy strategy calls. Well, yes, but remember what we said. Rewind the bloke and the bird tapes. Mm-hmm. What we said was they were taking a risk because they'd be heralded as heroes if that had worked. That was early in the season. Now that we are later in the season, and this goes back to what we were talking, was it last week or the week before, of, yeah, we're not seeing them take the same kind of risks. They, I- instead of actually coming out 
and making decisions. They're doing what they did with Fernando, and they go back and forth, and then in the end, they go the safe route, and they just step away. There's been a lot of talk about Ferrari's strategy in Suzuka and the fact that um, they they made a safe call to pull in their drivers, especially Vettel, for an early pit stop and gave up track position as a result of it because it was the safer decision to go with. They're not pushing the boundaries anymore. This isn't a team that feels like it is hungry for the win at this point. Well, I get that, but also look at the fact that they pushed the boundaries and kept getting burned by the boundaries. I mean, there's something to be said that every time you touch a hot stove, you get burned. You stop touching the hot stove. That would be the goal of why you <laughs> that whole process. Yes, to a point. Because the truth of the matter is the teams that, that win in Formula One and win consistently and win championships are the ones that push the boundaries. They take the risks. Now, the other piece of that is they take the risks and they get it right, but they still take the risks and they know that there is the chance that they could roll the dice and get it very much wrong. Hello, Renault, two years ago, and how they pursued their engines. Well, yes, you roll the dice, you, you risk getting it wrong, you risk getting it right, all of those things. But that is not what you told me wins Formula One in the long haul. Well, there, there's, there's three things. Consistency. Consistency is, but, but in order to get to that point, my, my theory is this. You need three things for a team to win a championship. Okay. Not not just to even win a race cuz uh, you know you can get the the one-off races here and there. But three things to win a championship. One, you need at least one of your drivers who is just hitting the peak and doing it right consistently. Okay? Number 2, you need your team and the track side folks to be hitting their notes and performing at their peak consistently every single weekend and then the last one is you need luck you need to have all three in order to win a championship because if your driver is not performing it doesn't matter how well your team is doing again take a look over at williams and the fact that with the exception of i think two races they have had the fastest pit stop award and we haven't talked about it and i've been meaning to almost every week but like with the exception of two races all season long They've hit the fastest pit stop of the race, especially considering how bad they were last season, putting the wrong tire on Valtteri's car so that he was running with a a mismatched set of tires. And then this year, they're just nailing it. And not just the fastest pit stop, but the fastest pit stop by a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I get that. We've always talked about timing is a very key piece of winning championships whether it's driver championships or constructors championships it's having the right driver or the right car at the right peak time and then in comparison to the rest of the field because you can be running the best possible car you've ever built with the best possible driver you've ever built but if somebody else is hitting their peak at the same time that's where your luck comes in you get yeah. you can get overshadowed quickly Ferrari has got, they've made mistakes. I get it. One of their biggest issues is consistency. It is consistency. They've got a car that is making strides, but not fast enough. 
They've got a strategist that's making inconsistent calls for whatever psychological reasons we could possibly talk about. But they're not being consistent. They're trying to ride the edge on sometimes and playing it safe on other times. That's not consistency. I mean, for all you yeah. want to say about the differences between Nico and Lewis, <clears throat> Lewis will ride that razor's edge, and yeah, he gets it right more than he gets it wrong, but he rides a razor's edge on the, on the risk factor. And I think Vettel would want to be closer to that razor's edge in a lot of ways, but I don't think he's necessarily being allowed to get there. I don't know about I mean, if you, you look at the way... Seb has been driving in the last couple of races. He is clearly pushing. He is trying to put that car where it is not at, at a level that it is not necessarily performing at. Right. And this was something that we used to see consistently with Fernando when Fernando was driving at Ferrari. Um, the number of times that people said that this car has no business being up at the front of the grid and Fernando is managing to muscle it through. Seb, I think, is trying to do the exact same thing. The problem is, I think he's pushing the car harder than even the car can take. That is entirely possible. But Fernando's big Achilles heel was he qualified poorly. He would qualify fifth yeah. and sixth consistently, fifth and sixth, outperform, outdrive the car, and get it up into third. If he could have qualified in third, like, Vettel is doing better a job of qualifying than Fernando but, but is. But the, the other benefit that Fernando had is that in the entire time that he was at Ferrari, mm -hmm. I think he had like all of two DNFs due to mechanical issues. Yeah. I mean, he had a car that at least mechanically was very solid, even if the performance wasn't necessarily there. Seb hasn't been quite so lucky. True. Very, very true. So, the other thing, speaking of Seb, mm -hmm. the, the other thing that uh, Luca takes the, the team to task about um, is, and, and you mentioned it last week, uh, Maurizio's comments about Seb and his future. Yes. Um, that, yes, Raikkonen is doing better than in 2015. Vettel, however, is a lot worse. However, he says it's important for Ferrari to recover him and to hold on to him, at least in the short term. He thinks the team should do everything it can to retain Seb beyond his current contract, which expires in 2017. And this is where I really do agree. You've got Kimi, who really and truly is inching towards the end of his career. His career will end when Ferrari decides to pull the plug at this point. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, you've got Seb, who, A, besides being a four-time world champion, he's still pretty much in the middle of his career. He's got plenty of time left in him to stay within the sport. So why, if Ferrari can, can hold on to him, would they let him go? Well, and I think that's just crazy talk. I mean, really and truly, I think it's crazy, this idea that they would let Vettel go if he's, quote, somehow not performing, but yet they've strung Kimmy along for so long. Yeah. I mean, Kimmy, it's time for him to retire. But who are they going to think that they're going to replace Vettel with if they could? Because Vettel certainly has earned a spot on that grid. 
And any team would snap him up. Yeah. So why would you want to be driving against Vettel? And I'm not even a huge Seb fan. I mean, don't even get me wrong about that. But you've got to understand that sometimes when you let a driver go, that you're just increased your competition. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous piece to be, to a dangerous place to be in. But truly, there's not a lot of options for him either. No. So let's move on to Williams. Williams. One One of our teams that we tend to root for if not for just their general story of who they are and what they are. Or the fact that you are madly and passionately in love with Claire Williams. Okay, that might be a little bit of an overstatement. <laughs> yeah, the goo-goo eyes every time she comes on the screen is a that little is bit not... much. It's the drool. Okay, okay. You're going to give me a hard time about that. And let's go back to that actually it's nowhere near as bad as you say. And the <laughs> fact that if you had had the remote in your hand this morning – you would have rewound the Hefty Bags commercial that was on so that you could watch it over and over and over again. Guilty. <laughs> totally guilty. So, like um, that commercial. Um, yeah, pot, meat, kettle, all of those things. Maybe um, bite me. Uh. Let's review that the 1970s British... Uh, what is it? Mascot car of the bloke in the bird show is named what again? You elected Claire? to name that. Huh? You elected to name that. I believe that was your first suggestion when I said classic cars need names. And um, well, I, I offered up as another option, you know, possibly Nikki, name it after Nikki Lauda, but you said no. It's a boy. You can't name a car after a yeah, boy. Whatever. Cars are girls. Anyway, it's a requirement. Moving on. So Williams, a team that we really want to see do well. And it was after finishing third in 2014 and 2015, and especially 2015 where it looked like things were really turning around and they had hit their stride, we were truly hoping for some great things this year. Mm -hmm. And they fall in the fourth. Yep. Fall in the fourth um, with Force India overtaking them and actually looking kind of strong this year. I mean, Sergio Perez getting a podium how many times this season? It's a couple of times. Pretty impressive. Pat Simmons. Yes. Who is never afraid to, to comment on the fortunes of his team or others. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Simmons has said that um, his team's development this year has been remarkably stagnant compared oh. to Force India. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah, he said, other teams have moved on. We have been remarkably stagnant. Force India did most of it in one upgrade, which is quite unusual these days because they tend to to trickle things in race by race. But at Barcelona, they made a pretty major step forward. It may not have been quite as apparent in Barcelona. I think it took them a little bit of time to understand it and best utilize it. Um, Now, Pat said that we have also introduced upgrades and have improved the car. If we went back to Barcelona now, we would be quite a bit quicker. But the Delta wouldn't be as much as Force India. They have done an exceptional job. But I think our development, which has been a strong point in 2014 and 2015, has let us down this year. Yeah. 
Now, he, he's reluctant to blame the team's decision to switch to the 2017 car early in the year as being an issue. Um, but he admitted that the team's development plan had not developed the results he expected. You think? Yeah. I mean, that's the statement of the obvious, correct? Mm-hmm. So, you know what's going on over in, in the, the development labs and test benches at Williams, right? You, are you aware? Fix it. They're doing science. <sighs> Blinding <laughs> me with science. You know, it, it's all about the aerodynamic gains. And yes. the thought this year, or thought going into 2017 as it stands right now, is that, um, again, according to Pat Simmons, that the aerodynamic gains that they're going to see under the rules for next year are going to be, quote-unquote, staggering. Staggering. Um, he says, on paper... Um, he thinks that the gr gains are great enough that it gives them a chance to jump back in the order. Um, he says, every week in the wind tunnel, it's just pulling downforce onto the thing. Um, he says, I can't believe that they're alone in doing it, and that what's happening in 11 tunnels, he, he says, I'm sure that's happening in 11 tu wind tunnels around the world, so you just never know. But he says, we normally have targets for what we're going to achieve in aerodynamics. But next year, you can't say because you don't know what the target is. You can say it's an aspiration, a likelihood, or whatever, but you just don't know what the targets are until we go testing and see where everyone else is. Um, he says the creative element is totally different. He reads the daily reports, and he's like, wow, how did we find that sort of amount? You sort of think it is going to be tailing off. Right now, it's not really. He says, of course, the slope isn't quite what it was in the first month or so, but it's still remarkable. And he says that, you know, don't forget that the folk, not all the focus is on the arrow. Arrow is a big deal. Um, one of the things he says they have to cope with is the new uh, tires and the new materials and stuff that they're doing from Pirelli. He says it's not easy. Like most teams, we've had to do suspension geometry changes, and they have to do totally different types of brake ducts. Okay. Just spitball in here. Mm -hmm. If you're seeing staggering results in your wind tunnel, and you have this hope that you um, are going to move back up in the order because you're seeing all this great stuff. There's still a risk that other people are seeing equally as staggering pieces. And that's what he's saying. You know, there, there's 11 other wind tunnels. Here's my question. Mm -hmm. Why would you say it in your out loud voice publicly? Okay, what you have just said was hey guys we're like figuring this stuff out and it's really awesome and the guys at force india and mercedes and ferrari are going yeah well they can figure it out we can figure it out too and if they've got 15 percent, you've now pushed them to get 25 percent. and here you're sitting with 12 percent, thinking that you're doing pretty good i mean Poten potentially yes he's not giving specifics I understand. Is, is number one. Number two is, this is Pat Simmons we're talking about. And we like Pat Simmons. He's a sharp guy. He, he knows the sport very well. But Pat is also not afraid to go and, and um, speak when a microphone is shoved in his face. <laughs> also a reason why we like him. You know, Pat's the guy who, earlier in the season, as we were looking at these um, 
these rule changes, said that he had some very big concerns about the aero gains that were going to be made and the impact that it was actually going to have on the races. And this is something to think about because what we see now with these cars that are already pretty heavily aero dependent is that you don't get a lot of close racing because the cars can't do it. They lose the, the downforce in the wash of the car in front of them and it ruins the tires and they can't chase for very long. Mm-hmm. So now you're building cars that, and, and this is what he pointed out, you're building cars that are even more aero-dependent. And yes, they've got more mechanical grip than the previous cars. But if these cars are even more aero-dependent, how much more dramatic is that downforce issue, going, or is that uh, wash issue going to be? And is it going to have as bad, if not worse, of an impact on the close racing? That's my concern is that we're going to have less passing because the aero dependency is going to be greater. But I go back to strategy would say that you downplayed your growth and gains, not upplay them. You would go in and go, man, these regulations are really hard to, to figure out. We're not getting anywhere and then blow them away at testing. I mean, that's the way that works. Yes and no. Some of this isn't necessarily for the fans. It's for the sponsors. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to attract new sponsors. And especially when you're Williams now and you've fallen back and you want to make sure that you don't lose your sponsors and possibly attract more sponsors, you're going to want to turn around and say, oh, yeah, th- things haven't been as great this year, but 2017, we're going to blow them out of the water. Send it's a- our year. Send us your sponsorship checks, too. <laughs> Okay, okay. I didn't think about the sponsors piece. I was thinking much more from the standpoint of, you know, playing the mental mind game with um, the other team. But for all we know, th- this gain, this staggering gain is all of 2%. And everybody's looking at 2%. And they're going, well, wait a minute. If we were only able to get 2% out of this new design, what the hell are they doing? Well, you know, you also have to then add to the fact that they're starting 5% behind. You know, think about it. If they got 7%, they'd be equal with everybody else in the top end because they're starting from behind. They've had arrow issues all year this year. Well, they, they, they've had arrow issues every year. The, the Williams design, and, and a lot of it is due to resources, the Williams design is a compromised design. They do better on the faster tracks, the less aero-dependent tracks. It's why when they get to Monaco, they're a nightmare. Right. So And in the rain. They, they run, in general, a compromised design that it, it suits the faster tracks and the less aero-dependent tracks. So moving on. Okay, so we've reviewed Ferrari and Williams. Are we going, on, going to any other teams? We are. Who? Now— I gotta set this up. You look at Ferrari, and we know that the the financial situation with Ferrari, um, there's a bit of an imbalance in terms of the payouts. Yes, and that Ferrari makes gobs of more. gobs of money just for oh pulling their truck into the paddock. Being Ferrari. Yes. Well, Mercedes has. A similar deal, not quite as lucrative. But you also add on top of that that this is a team that, after Suzuka, they, they captured their third in the row constructors' championship. Correct. Which is 
a huge deal, even though we, we're not really talking about it this week. It truly is a huge deal, and it, it's a huge credit to the team and the strategy that was put in place several years ago to build the team into what it is today. But knowing that they have won the Constructors' Championship now two years in a row, three. or three years in a row, um, they reported their 2015 results when they had won it two years in a row. The initial report that they had put out, they've since revised it a little bit, they reported a 22.3 million pound loss for 2015. Wow. It's a costly championship. It is. Now, when, when you also look at that their budget in general was probably in the area of 300 to 400 million pounds, okay, it's not a huge loss. But it's still a lot of money. I mean, that would hurt. Yeah. Now, it's a significant improvement on 2014 where the team reported a post-tax loss of 76.1 million pounds. Wow. So here's the question. Okay, you've got a team like Mercedes Mm -hmm. who is admittedly a large team. They are a particularly well-funded team which allows them to have or or to support the development and engineering work and staffing needed to enjoy this level of success. Right. And you've got this team that is so well-funded that has lost over almost 100 million pounds in two years. Mm -hmm. Why would you start a team in a sport? If that's the kind of money that they're losing and they're the team that wins – why, if you're Gene Haas, would you want to start a team in this sport? I don't have a great answer. I have a theory. But it's a theory about funny money. Okay. Because one of the things, I mean, there's a couple of things. There's an intangible uh, income that occurs from having the notoriety of being in these types of things. Yeah, especially when you are... A car manufacturer like Mercedes. Or you're a sports car racing car part distributor like a Haas. They're not a car parts distributor. They they are a mechanical and tooling company. Okay, mechanical and tooling company. But even still, there's a cachet to that that is an intangible thing that will never show up on a balance sheet. Mm -hmm. The other part of that is... Something like Mercedes is a multi-bazillion dollar company. And there's a question of mine that is it possible that some of the profits aren't shown on the Formula One team's balance sheet? And that's possible. And I mean, there are, there are marketing benefits. Again, and it goes back to being an auto manufacturer. There are marketing benefits to being a world championship leader when you're trying to sell performance cars and luxury cars. Uh, the, the same thing with Red Bull that, yeah, they may not be a, a automotive manufacturer, but a winning team in, that is around the, the high adrenaline and excitement lifestyle, lifestyle that Red Bull wants to promote is beneficial. Right. So that's those are just some of the intangible pieces. Now, why would somebody want to start a start from scratch a a team in this sport? I haven't got a clue. 
it seems like a money-losing proposition. In looking further out than the fact of how much Mercedes lost and how much they've been in the sport and where they are, the very fact that you're told up front you cannot make any money for three mm -hmm. years, that makes it financially improbable to me. Okay, so all this begs the question. Other than being possibly a tax shelter or a route for um, some interesting dealings in terms of VJ Malia's um, financial, stylings. financial stylings, what kind of benefit does Sahara Force India bring? I have no idea. <laughs> that was one I just do not understand. So Mercedes has gone and... and we don't know why they have done this. But after the initial report came out, Mercedes revised the report. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, they revised it, and now they, they're showing in them what I believe this number is. I'm not sure, but I believe this has to do with sponsorship and, and those numbers. But they're showing an increase in turnover of $66.3 but more importantly, a reduced post-tax loss of 22.3 million pounds, which is down from, like we said, originally 76.1 million pounds. Now, what the article I saw said is that it's believed that Mercedes has grown turnover by 86% since 2011, which was a year after it returned to F1 and bucks the market trend in a difficult sponsorship climate. So that's why I think that this is a sponsorship thing, that the, the turnover piece. But there, there's the other thing that this article reminds me of, and we spoke about this a couple of months ago, some comments that Bernie had made about how Mercedes had screwed him. Right. If you remember that whole thing, it was because – Mercedes had negotiated a deal where if they won two world championships within a set amount of time, Bernie would pay them an annual bonus. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, guess what? They get paid an annual bonus next year because they won two, the, the world championships in 2014 and 2015. Right. So because of that, he thinks that um, they or Toto Wolf believes that they will probably break even next year, or at least they're going to be well on their way to breaking even next year. Now, he credits the team's success specifically to uh, Daimler because Daimler owns Benz and, and Mercedes. He says he credits Daimler's understanding of F1 as a business and how it takes time to make it work. He says in any business, you need a clear-sighted analysis of what makes you successful. In Formula One, there are a number of key factors, the drivers, the chassis, the power unit, the right technology, the necessary budget, and the best people. You need to make the right decisions in these areas and make sure they are all aligned. But there is one factor that money cannot buy, time. Our key stakeholders have given us the time for the building blocks to come together and gel. That has been a vital factor in our success. He says they're in a very fortunate position because their key stakeholders understand their business. They know that if you try and run an F1 team like a corporate multinational, it doesn't go. You need to be independent, agile, and capable of taking quick decisions. The board of Daimler, led by Dieter Zietz, understood that. Okay. So there's this, the secret to success right there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Toto has spoken. We now know. Any more team reviews? Well, we, we've got more news. We're going to stay with Mercedes for a bit because this week oh. was another one of the in-season tests for the Pirelli tires yes. using the, the mule cars, which were two-year-old cars that had been modified for downforce. Lewis was supposed to drive this test. Now, keep in mind, Lewis hasn't driven any test this season. 
other than the preseason. He hasn't done any in-season testing. Right. He was supposed to drive it. He didn't. No. Due to a sore foot reportedly that occurred during a training session. Well, he's not the only person that's overdone training here recently. Okay. Apparently, it was Nico Hulkenberg, no, Roman Grosjean, reported that he knew he had overdone it when he had to go down the stairs backwards. He had overdone leg day. Okay. Okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Spokesman told Reuters that Lewis had had some discomfort in his foot after training on Tuesday, and it was agreed that he wouldn't test so he could rest it and get physio to be in good shape for Austin, which he will be. There's no concerns on that front. Um, Lewis was at the Mercedes uh, factory in Bricksworth on Tuesday to celebrate the the world championship uh, win, or the constructor's championship win, I should say. And supposedly footage from the event shows him limping around. Interesting. I don't know. Um, Nico took part in one test, and Pascal Verlein got the call again for the other test. Hmm. Um, Now, you alluded to it, the, the issue with Lewis and Suzuka. There's a lot of theories as to what happened with Lewis's start. There has been talk of wheel spin. There has been talk of that it was that he had the wet side of the track because the track hadn't fully dried. It rained the night before, and the track hadn't fully dried, and the FIA had actually come out with the blowers and only um, put set up blowers on his grid spot. Ferrari apparently tried to get the same thing and was told no. Interesting. But the FIA came out, and they, they put blowers on there, plus just— the general fact that Lewis has had some issues with the starts. Um, Toto made a comment that they have acknowledged that there are some problems with their clutch setup and that they need to refine that and revise that, but he has said that that has been an issue as well. But one of the other things that Mercedes has tried to do, and this is the level that they are going to to try and sort this out, is they actually altered the stitching on the driver's gloves, both Lewis and Nico's gloves, um, to avoid problems with the clutch and to change the way the clutch was feeling through the gloves. I always find that to be helpful when I'm driving. They, you know, my glove stitching is always very sensitive. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, no. I, I mean... I read the I read the same article you did about the stitching on the gloves, and yes, it sounds really cool in that they're taking in all of the factors. But there's that other part of me that's like, duh, <laughs> because they take in all of the other factors in everything that they have to do. I mean, they're talking about how much these guys can drink before a race so that they meet the the weight standards, and and you know. Everything about the driver fitting into the car, the car seats are like physically molded to them. I mean, they would change out their shoes if they thought that that was going to give them a tenth of a second somewhere. Well, well see, that's w- what I think actually happened, okay, is that they have gotten to this point where they have tried just about everything that they can think of. And if you think back to that scene from Apollo 13, where they go, and of course, I don't have the audio for it because I just thought of this right now. But you think back to that scene in Apollo 13 where 
the canister's blown up. They're, they're in trouble. They're, they're trying to figure out how to extend the life of, of the filters. And Mission Control, they grab four engineers into this room, and they lock the doors, and, and the Mission Controller takes out this bag, and he goes, and he dumps the parts on a table, and he goes, okay, these are all the parts that you have available to them. Figure out how to make them survive for another four days. And it's that kind of a thing of, okay, here's your mess of junk. <laughs> figure out how to go and fix the problem with this. <laughs> So somebody went, hey, let's go take a look at the gloves because the gloves go on the hands and the hands touch the paddles and maybe it's the gloves. <laughs> because seriously. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, seriously, the Vaseline other, Nico keeps putting on the backside of Lewis's uh, clutch paddle. I don't know. Well, well, you know, seriously, I think th their next thought is, well, okay, we're going to go and we're going to change the lining of the seats that they're using from hard plastic to sheep's wool or something. I don't know because no. they, they just don't know what else to do at this point. No, they're going to have to dye Lewis's hair blonde again because oh, he God. was winning when he had blonde hair. Well, as a result of that, I, I am not going to completely call the championship yet. I will say that, Lewis, as the press has been saying about the election, Lewis's path to victory has gotten narrower. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he still could possibly win if the stars and the moon align in just the right way. It is not mathematically impossible, but it is more improbable than what we were looking at before we went into Suzuka. Well, you would be vastly disagreeing with Nikki Lauda. Okay. Nikki Lauda has called it. He has said that just short of Nico having mechanical difficulties, he cannot lose the championship this year. This year. So while you're saying you're not ready to call it, Nick, Nikki Lauda has said it's a done deal. Honestly, if something big doesn't happen next week in Austin, I will agree with Nikki at that point. At that point, I think it's time to put the nail in, Lewis, in, in the coffin and, and declare Lewis's championship run over, mm -hmm. even if Nico hasn't officially clinched it. But, you know, one bad race and all of a sudden the, the things get much closer again. Okay. So let's – I think we need to give it a week. Well, just remember, at least we don't have double dobby. True. Now, how much – actually, I think we should start a pool. Okay? The, I have some pocket once, here. Once Nico officially clinches it and wins the title, how long do you think it's going to take – before Sir Jackie Stewart steps up in front of a microphone and blames Lewis's loss of the championship on Lewis's lifestyle, lifestyle and said that it was only a matter of time for that lifestyle to catch up with him. And he's been saying for years that this is Lewis's big fault and he needs to focus on it. And it was his loss of focus this year that cost him the championship. Rolex cannot time something that fast. <laughs> Now, Nico came out, and, and I'm, I'm surprised to hear this from Nico. I really am, because I, I can't imagine that there was a reason for him to make these comments. But Nico actually said to the press that he witnessed Lewis working overtime during a Japanese Grand Prix weekend in a built bid to halt 
his world championship slide. He said that uh, Lewis was working overtime ever. He was he's as focused as ever. Um, he's been working the longest hours he's ever seen him work with the engineers in many months, trying to find those little bits of lap time. So he, Nico says he's seen Lewis working extremely well and focused. Um, now asked whether he took any encouragement from what uh, Lewis's critics perceived as self-destructive behavior, Rosberg defended Lewis and said, I haven't seen any self-destruction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But he's buying extra toys for the doggies. Squeaky ones. Very squeaky <laughs> toys. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's important that for Nico, honestly, I think that that statement comes from a standpoint of it will be very, very easy for the press to say that Lewis gave the championship away by his lifestyle, by not being focused, by whatever, and not that Nico earned the win. This is going to be one of those seasons because Lewis was so plagued with mechanical issues that it's going to be less that Nico earned it and more that Lewis lost it. Lewis has lost it, or mechanically... The team has lost it for Lewis. But that being said, Nico was right there to pick up the pieces. And there have been a few times in the past that Nico was not there. And the fact that Nico has had really good drives and has performed as well as he can possibly be expected to when he is needed to says a lot. I... I, I, I'm, and I don't want to take it away from Nico because of that. I mean, even Malaysia, where he had that awful, awful start, he still had a great recovery. I, I, I'm with you there. I'm just saying that it's going to be a very easy thing for the press to go after that Lewis lost it, not Nico won it. And that is a shadow that I feel sorry for Nico on, actually. Yeah. Because... Every, you know, we've heard for three straight years that every time it's been head-to-head, -head, everything even between Lewis and Nico, Nico falls short. And that has set up the narrative that I think is sad. I really well, think that's a very sad one narrative. One of the other things, though, to play off of that, again, Nico's wins, for the most part, have been because he's been there to pick up the pieces and ready to pick up the pieces when Lewis has fallen apart. We still have not, other than Barcelona, when everything went to, to bits, we still have not seen any real head-to-head -head battle between the two of them. Canada was the closest we had. Nico came out on the losing side of it. Yeah. There was one other, what was it, Austria... Was it Austria? Yeah, it was Austria. was the other one where, again, they went head-to-head, -head and Nico did actually lose that one. Yeah. But every other time, Lewis hasn't been there, and, Lewis, and Nico has performed well. So that begs the question, if all things are equal, because they haven't been this year, and no, you have they to haven't. Admit, admit that, if all things are equal— Lewis to Nico. I think it's likely that it's probably Lewis, but we need to see it. We haven't had it happen. Not in, a, not in long enough time. We need another race like we had Bahrain two years ago. That was an amazing race. Yes. It epically lives forward. So let's move over to Haas. 
Okay. You know, Haas has been struggling with the brakes. Um, they have been Roman has been complaining about the brake. He's had some pretty spectacular brake failures lately. Um, the car performed drastically better this weekend, which Haas is trying to capitalize on. But Roman said, as well as the car is performing, the brakes still suck. <laughs> Roman believes that they have figured out at least some of the issue. Mm-hmm. He believes it's related to the brake material. Um, they should stop using cotton wool. That that's what I don't understand. I mean, he says that it's a brake material issue, but there's all of two suppliers for brakes in Formula One, and a lot of the teams use. Actually, I think all the teams use one or the other. Well, there are two suppliers, thus you use one or the other. Well, it, it's okay. not like everybody uses one and, and they've got the, the the other guy that's left. Mm-hmm. There are other teams using this, but only Haas seems to be plagued by these problems. So I don't understand what's what the deal is and what's going on there. But that's what he says. Um, Daniel Kvyat has found his happy place. He did. Which is amazing that he's found his happy place at this point where the team and the car really have no chance. Right. Um, but he he has found his happy place to the point that he says that he is now outperforming his car. Oh, so he's running alongside his car now? <laughs> if the car could be better, I could get points. But no, your car sucks, and I'm doing really good. And I should be back up in Red Bull and, and screw that Max guy. And he's going to stomp his feet and have his little temper fit. I don't know. <sighs> Speaking of Red Bull, you know, the other one that – the other – driver that had trouble with their starts last weekend lewis was part of it but daniel ricardo was the other and daniel was behind lewis he was right behind lewis Mm -hmm. originally he wasn't supposed to be behind lewis no um he believes that actually it was kimmy's penalty that cost him a better position Oh, because he would have been on the other side of the track. Exactly. So it was Kimmy's penalty that put him on the same side as Lewis. And while it wasn't as wet in his grid box, he had a wet box as well and a slow start as well, which put him further back. It's always rough when you have a wet box. It's Ferrari's fault. (laughs) It's all Ferrari's fault. Um. There was a rumor last week. Mm Mm-hmm. That now that Sergio Perez had been confirmed for Force India, confirmed to be confirmed. No, confirmed, confirmed. That's it. Not just confirmed, but confirmed, confirmed. They're not just dating. They're dating, dating. We we mean it. He is really staying with us, even though we told you back in Silverstone he was staying with us. Well, then the attention turned to Nico Hulkenberg, who also was told we were told by force indian silverstone he was staying with us and 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 he is confirmed that he was not confirmed confirmed yeah apparently he didn't get the double confirmation and word came in japan that renault was possibly talking to him for a seat and that there might be some sort of an escape clause going on there that might be about to kick in sure enough come uh wednesday wednesday or thursday we got word that um, the ripcord had, in fact, been pulled. Nico Hulkenberg was leaving Force India, followed a few hours later by Renault announcing that they had signed Nico Hulkenberg to a two-year deal with options for additional years after that. Actually, I'm kind of excited for Nico, honestly. I mean, I realize that Renault has got a lot of ground to make up, 
But I think they're poised to be able to do that. I mean, they've had a year to try to unscrew up what Lotus left them and or the Instone team left them. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and I think that this could be really cool for Nico. Plus, he's a really good driver. He's a good driver that we had expected that he would be able to move to a team further up the grid mm -hmm. many years ago. And we heard all kinds of screwy excuses. And in all honesty, you know, one of those teams that he was tapped to possibly go with was McLaren. And it's probably a good thing he didn't go to McLaren. I think that's definitely true. Definitely think that's true. But this he, he's moving to a team that is well-funded and should not have the financial question marks hanging over it that Force India has had. Renault's got a lot of experience. If he can stick it out, for two to three years, yeah, I think there's some big potential here. Yeah. But that's the big question of can he stick it out? We'll see. We'll definitely see. So then the next question becomes, well, okay, that's one seat. Mm -hmm. Who is up for the next seats? Because now, even though we expected Silly Season to truly start to heat up about two months ago now it seems like things are getting interesting because now we've got an open seat over at force india which we weren't expecting plus we still now have an open an open seat for next year at reno mm -hmm. with reno potential so we know that reno is interested in esteban ocon and esteban's been doing fairly well right but we've already got kevin magnuson with the team We've got Julian Palmer with the team, and we know both of them are fighting hard to stay with the team. But we also know that Ocon, even though he is a Renault driver, he's got teams to Mercedes. He's got ties to Mercedes. Right. And we have a Force India seat open. So do you turn around and move Esteban to Renault? Do you turn around and decide he needs a little more seasoning and maybe move him into Force India? Do you leave Esteban where he's at and move Pascal Verline up to Force India? I, I mean, seriously, this is a three-card Monte game that's going to be very, very interesting. Or do you take Daniel Kvyat from Toro Rosso and move him to Force India? Also possible. And if you're Daniel Kvyat, why would you not be having your people on the phone to Renault going, hey, I, I'm, I'm kind of experienced here? Right. Now, granted, he may be a hard sell given how he performed for, what, July and August, or July and part of September. Yeah, but I think there's also some level of forgiveness, understanding what, you know, the rug got pulled out from underneath him and... You know, he didn't he didn't suck it up well, but he's finding his feet again. So there there may be a conversation there. And don't forget that we still have seats at Sauber that haven't been assigned out yet. We haven't. Um, Carlos Sainz, and it's a little odd that Carlos is making these comments since he's not at Sauber. But Carlos has commented on... A decision that you were a bit bitter about last week, mm -hmm. and that would be Monisha's decision to not uh, 
well, to stay with the 2016 engine in 2017. He thinks it's an incredibly stupid decision. I knew Carlos was incredibly <laughs> bright. I mean, anytime anybody's going to agree with me, but Carlos Sainz is particularly bright in these matters. We should acknowledge that. So to further fan the flames of the silly season, mm-hmm. and probably should have played the silly season music, but it's too late for that. But to further fan the flames of the silly season, there was a report not long after, and probably within hours after it was announced that uh, Nico Hulkenberg was going to Renault, that Valtteri Bottas had opened negotiations with Renault. And that could be a bit of a problem for our dear friends at Williams. Yeah. So, yes, it gets fun and complicated quickly. Now, it does sound like Lance Stroll will be Williams' driver taking Felipe Massa's seat. But we can't get an announcement yet. Nope. They're not ready to announce. Well, it's not really that they're not ready to announce. It's apparently a little bit of a complication with sponsorship at Williams. Oh. Why? Well, the problem is, is that Lance is 17 years old. And Williams' title sponsor is Martini. So Williams is holding back on that confirmation for, I believe it's two weeks. Until his 18th birthday? Correct. When he, October 29th is his 18th birthday. So after his 18th birthday, they're going to make the announcement. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So next week, F1 comes back to America mm-hmm. as it, it, it's normal pilgrimage. It, it's now, it, it's regular pilgrimage, I should say, to the U.S. To the Circuit of the Americas in outside of Austin, Texas, where it's looking like we will not have a hurricane threaten the, the race. That would be nice. Yeah. Um, actually, they said that they are expecting the, the second large— I gotta double check. Yeah, they're they're expecting Coda to attract its second largest crowd. Nice. Um, part of the reason why they did this is because they've put forward a guarantee to fans to uh, to prevent or, or to provide a refund if severe weather hits this year. Now, this isn't just a hundred percent refund if it rains. This is a hundred and five percent refund if it rains. Oh wow, that's impressive. Now, this is a deal that was put forth. You had to have purchased your tickets before July 4th. Okay. So this was making sure you bought your tickets well, pretty far in advance um, in order to make sure that you could take advantage of this guarantee should it rain. Now, Coda has also done a couple of other things to try and uh, improve the conditions based on last year. One of those is a, quote, no-mud pledge. Um, they have reduced the amount of unpaved uh, pathways mm. so that people didn't have to trudge through mud. They have expanded their transit and shuttle bus areas so that there's uh, more cover available to fans while they're waiting. Um, and they're, apparently, they, I think they've also hired more buses and things like that to try and accommodate the crowds should the weather be bad, or just in general, to make life easier to be at Coda. Nice. 
Now, one thing I want to point out to our fans that may not be as familiar with this is um, Coda wasn't always at the very end of October. It's been in the early parts of November, too. Yeah. Um, so it has been moved up a bit to accommodate the Mexican Grand Prix. But one of the things to note is November 1st is the end of hurricane season. Yes. And so that is one of the many reasons why this is a big deal is that hurricanes do tend to keep coming in as we keep hearing news about uh, Florida getting hit. So, you know, the remnants of something come in through the Gulf is not that unusual. So that would kind of play into this whole thing. The other thing that, that CODA did, and, and this kind of surprised me because we've got a good friend of ours who typically goes to this race, and they elected not to go this year because they complained about the cost. Mm-hmm. CODA dropped their prices by 11.5% this year. Wow. So following Silverstone's model. Yeah. Um, in addition to the infrastructure investment, though, and, and this is something that they went the opposite direction from what um, Silverstone did. They reduced capacity. Really? When they did the infrastructure improvements, they reduced capacity so that they could, as uh, Bobby Epstein, who's the CEO of the the, the track, um, he said that they lowered capacity this year so they can ensure they deliver a great experience for people and provide an easy transportation experience. Interesting. So basically, to try and prevent as much overloading as they've had in the past, not letting as many people, which, which it seems kind of counterintuitive, though. You know, if you can sell more tickets, you make more money. But here this is, we're going to sell fewer tickets right, to bring more people. in. I, I can't explain the, the marketing there. But in contrast to what Coda's going through, isn't Mexico looking at, like, one of the largest uh, packed houses ever. They, they have also increased capacity, I think, significantly. I want to say it was like by fifteen or twenty thousand people that they've increased capacity. They they sold out in like June or July and added more capacity, and I think sold that out as well. The race is doing extremely well, but I think it'll be interesting to see, especially this year, now that we're we're at the second year of how well these race these two races in particular can handle being back-to-back like this. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's going to be problematic. I mean, it would be awesome if there's a lot of people that are going to one and then the other. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be very, very good for Formula Well, Mike. either that or if the two races drew different crowds so that they weren't cannibalizing off of each other. Because right. that's been the big question, is to have these two races as, as relatively close as they are... Um, would 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 the uh, the attendants cannibalize off of each other, and would either one or both suffer from it? And you know, this year was the first year we had Malaysia and Singapore as close as they were, and I don't remember the stands in Malaysia being as deserted as they were this year. Yeah, that there was a lot of empty seats. I think a lot more empty seats this year in Malaysia that I have seen in the past. And I got to wonder, is that because of the fact that more of them went to Singapore or that Singapore is really where that fan base is and they were coming to Malaysia to catch that race because it was so close and this year decided not to? I don't know. And that was just too much and too close of a time frame. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have good answers for that. I would need to see their data. Okay. So that that's... 
all the stories I've got. So I guess that just leads this last question. You told me this week that you had something that you learned today. So I figured we needed some music to go with it. Okay. <laughs> well, I learned that if you're on a train and you've had a really rough week in Suzuka, you should don a Fernando Alonso mask and a Jensen Button mask and hand out uh, treats on the trolley and go through the train. And that's exactly what Jensen Button and Daniel Ricardo did this past week. Well, my understanding is they didn't just don masks. These were like... S- Three times the size of their normal head masks. <laughs> they were giant bobblehead masks. From the pictures that I saw. <laughs> giant bobblehead masks. Um, the best, of course, was Daniel Ricardo giving a race recap wearing the Fernando Alonso mask. <laughs> but Jensen says that when you have a rough week, nothing takes the edge off like handing out treats and food on a trolley in the middle of a train in Japan. I'm sure, given how those fans are and how excited that they probably were to be riding on the train with the two of them. Yes. That's what I learned. All righty. And I think on that, we'll call it a show. You know, we'd love to get uh, a review from you, whether it's on iTunes or wherever that you may get your podcast from. (laughs) Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell folks who you think would actually enjoy Formula One, how great we are and how we would get them into Formula One because we got you into Formula One. <laughs> We're contagious that way. You. <laughs> <laughs> the CDC has put out a report on us for our contagious n- nature. All right. So on that note, I think we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.